Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. And you're ready to take notes, which I really hope you did. Uh, then open to two passages, get ready for two, because I, I got some really, really good practical stuff for you. But we're going to look at First Timothy chapter 4, and then we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. Eventually, we'll make mention of Hebrews chapter 10. I don't think we're going to have time to teach on it, but it'll be instrumental in the progression of the study. But First Timothy chapter 4, Galatians chapter 5. We've been in a series for a couple of weeks now. Pastor Brandon's brought the first two messages, and it's uh, entitled More Than Believers. And the subline is about we want to be disciples of Jesus, and they're not necessarily one and the same, although the terms are, are used interchangeably often. But we want to talk about the fact that uh, when the Bible speaks of the word disciple or any of those uh, that have the same connotation, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, it's talking about not just a student, although that's part of it, but a student can come and just get smarter. But this is really an apprentice. It's somebody who's watching, who's listening, who's learning, and then who's imitating the, the one that is, that is leading, the one that, that is the master at this in order to be just like them. And so we're setting a premise in, in the prayerful hope that this will stir us and we will readjust as individuals and as a church and lean into another level that we want to be a people that are not just believers, not just Christians, but we are passionate followers of Christ we are disciples of Jesus. Well, Pastor Brandon brought the first message, and he really uh, talked about the fact that being a Christian is, it's not really an option to be a disciple, even though we kind of created our own category, right? You can get saved, you can say, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, but then just not really follow him, kind of living your own thing. But that's not a New Testament, really an Old Testament either, but it's not a New Testament idea. Jesus doesn't call us just to salvation, but he calls us to be his disciples, to imitate the way that, that he lived. But we also found out that discipleship's not automatic. It's an intentional decision that you have to lean in. And once you make that decision to say, I want to be a follower of Christ, then it requires a commitment both to continue to follow him and to follow through with the things that he's, that he's speaking to you, the things that, that the Holy Spirit's shaping in our life. Well, then last week, he followed up with that, and he talked about that every disciple of Jesus has built their life on these foundational, fundamental truths that we get straight from the New Testament. Number one, it's the abiding and the never-ending love of God. And, and, and that's so important that we understand because there's times when we may have an off day or an off week or an off month, and we need to understand as a New Testament Christian, New Testament disciple, God's love did not deviate at all. He's not mad at you. He's not vengeful. Now, he's desperate. He's passionate. He's assertive to lean in to say, I love you so much, I don't want you to keep acting like that. I love you so much, I need to bring some correction, some encouragement, some instruction to get you back on the right path. And so he's not just going to leave you static. It's not like a passive, you know, kind of a neutral love. It's a love that will lean in as any parent would to say, I want the best for you. We also build it on the fundamentals of the finished work of Jesus. And that means that anything that God promises us, anything the Bible says, this is how God, what God wants to do, we're not under any pressure to earn that. Jesus already earned it and paid for all of it. We just get in on the grace, on the gift, the benefit of God, which leads to the third one, and that is we are fundamentally, foundationally dependent on the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when he came, and he came at the day of Pentecost, but he's come into all of our lives the day we accept Jesus, that he comes to lead and guide us into all the truth, to, to walk every minute of every day with us, and as much as we will allow and give access to him, he's shaping our heart, and he's giving us those things that we need in order that we can live the way God wants us to. Well, today we're going to pick up on that, on this idea of being a disciple, and we're going to talk about how do we actually grow? Not just from a big, you know, macro spiritual sense, but what does that look like as we're taking steps and we're moving through the stages to become a more mature follower of Jesus? 
And I ask you to turn first to 1 Timothy chapter 4, because this is what Paul is coaching this young disciple named Timothy. Timothy would become the pastor, the senior pastor of the largest church in the New Testament, the church in Ephesus. And so Paul is leaning in, has been mentoring him for years, and he continues to lean in as Timothy stepped into this very weighty role. And this is what he writes to him in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, but reject profane and old wives' fables. Now, I have to just stop and tell you so you can really catch this. If you're leaning in and studying this a little bit, you're going to find out this whole, whole sentence is written with a verb tense that's called imperative and it's active, which translates this way, this is not a suggestion. This is not a passive option like, where's a few ways you could approach that? In fact, we would say in just plain English, this is a command. In other words, he's saying, I'm not, it's not that I'm being overbearing and I'm taking away your freedom of choice. What I'm saying to you is, if you want to be who God has designed you to be and experience everything he has for you, then you're going to have to start rejecting profane, or other words, or shallow, or, or ungodly, things that are not rooted in the truths of God's word. And they call them here old wives' fables. We would call them, you know, it's common knowledge. Or we say it this way, you know what they say. Nobody knows who they is, but everybody quotes they, and everybody takes certain parts of the collective wisdom of they, and that's how they govern their life. And yet it says, you have to intentionally, you have to on purpose make a decision unless it's rooted in the truths of God's word. I don't care how common it is. I don't care how culturally trendy it is. I'm going to intentionally and with a veracity of assertion, I'm going to reject that. Nope. No, I don't live that way. Nope, I'm not going to embrace that as truth. Well, what is the truth? I don't know. I've got to understand some things about what the Bible says, but here's what I know. I'm not going to do stuff or believe stuff just because that's what everybody else says. He says you have to start by rejecting that, but notice, here's what you, have to, you do have to do. He says, and exercise yourself towards godliness. Now, Again, this is in that same verb tense. It's imperative. It's active means this is not a suggestion. If you want to experience everything that God has for you and you want to be able to move forward in life the way he designed you and created you to do, you have to reject the worldview narrative and you have to instead begin to exercise yourself towards godliness, not a suggestion. This is imperative. It goes on and says, for or because bodily exercise profits a little or although when we, when we learn this clean living principle, right, even if we just narrow it down to diet and exercise, we're smart enough now as a culture, global knowledge is that if you can take good physical health, care of your health, then that affects your mental capacities, that affects your emotions, it affects the, the neurons and the psyche and, and how all those chemistries are working there. So many things are in the ripple effect. The Bible's summarizing and saying, even though bodily exercise will profit at you a little, and it will. It's really good for you. Notice what it said, but godliness is profitable for all things. Everybody say all things. Now see, I know that some Christians grew up believing, well, you mean all spiritual things. No, all things. In fact, he's going to clarify, having promise of the life that now is, and, everybody say and, and that which is to come. It's a whole bunch of Christians that think, well, yeah, but, you know, the Bible, that, that's so that we can be saved and we not go to the bad place. But one day we're going to go to heaven and then we'll live spiritual. But today we got to live in a practical world. You just know it is. And it says, you don't understand. Godliness will profit you in every single area of your life, both the natural, all the way through all of the complexities of every experience and things that you're going to engage, and it also brings in at the heart of it eternal things, spiritual things. Then it goes on in verse 9 and says, this is a faithful saying. In other words, this is irrefutable. This is not something that, well, let me just check it out because I know that most statistics say, no, no, this is 100% ironclad, guaranteed. It says this is a faithful saying and therefore worthy of all acceptance. 
Nobody should be arguing with this. In fact, I would even make a case that if people can get a rational, sober view of the fundamental truths of life and bring that into biblical principle, no one would argue with these. And I'll tell you how I know that, because one day everybody on the planet Earth who's ever lived is going to stand in front of a living Savior, and then they're going to, of their own free will, say, you were right. You really are the Lord. This really is true. But we have an advantage to make those observations, make those assessments and calculations, and come, come to the realization, this is true. This is how it works. And so we go on in verse 10, he says, for or because of this, to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. Why? Because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men. Listen to the last distinction, especially of those who believe. That's another distinction. There's a lot of Christians, well, God just kind of loves everybody the same. Well, he loves everybody the same in that he wants everybody to come into his family and therefore to be able to live in heaven. But God doesn't treat everybody the same, not because he doesn't love them the same, but because some people have stepped into a relationship and are part of his family and he now has greater access. He can correct them differently because they're his kids. He can bless them differently because they're his kids. See, the whole world is God's creation, but the whole world's not God's children. That's a decision that you get to make if you want to accept or you want to reject God. And so he says, God who is the savior of everybody, but especially to those who believe, and then verse 11 caps it off and says, these things command and teach. You have to insist you have to aggressively say, I'm telling you, man, this is the way the Bible says to live. If you do it, it works. If you don't, then it doesn't. And, and the, 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 the sooner we understand that, then so much of the confusion goes away because people don't take the word of God seriously. They don't recognize that God's a God of integrity, that he signed covenants. Let me change it so we can grab it. He signed contracts sealed in the blood of Jesus. He will do what he promised he would do. But because people don't understand that, then everything goes by an emotion and experience. Well, obviously, God loves Pastor Gill because he's a pastor and he'll do things for him, but I'm not like a super strong Christian. God won't do it for me. And you are completely confused. Doesn't work that way. But you can live your life in a confused state and so you won't lean in because you don't recognize the incredible benefits starting with a relationship, an affirming, uh, an encouraging, a strengthening, a covering, protecting relationship with the very God who created you. Never have to feel condemned. Never have to feel like, you know, I'd, let me just kind of stay on the down low because if he catches wind or he notices me, he knows I'm not living right and he's going to get me. That's just not, it's not Bible. So it's so important that we recognize. So today we're going to talk about being a disciple. How do we begin to move in that, to that growth pattern? And, we're going to, and the title of today's message is Practice Makes Perfect. But let me just kind of set the stage. I won't have to work hard because we all know this, right? We live in a culture that wants instant gratification. Well, we back it off. Maybe if it's not instant, it has to be really fast. And, and so we have these lofty ideas and we've got them because communications progressed and social media sends pictures and, and videos that helps us to understand, well, wow, you can actually do that and experience that. Who knows if those people are actually there or if that's an AI generated or we, we don't know, but it looks like that and it prints in our mind and says, you know what? I'm a good person. How come I can't have that much money? Uh, because you don't like to work and you don't like to budget or you don't have a really rich family member who just kind of fills your trust fund. And well, I, I, how come they can look like that? They're barely, you know, they're eating a piece of cake and they've just got abs. And how come they, well, because you don't really like to work out and you don't like to exercise and you don't like to rest properly and you just kind of want to live and, and it's just magic, but it doesn't work that way anywhere. But let me kind of jump back into the Christian part. How come we can't be part of a great church, spiritual family and have good friends that are like-minded so you know, we can find encouragement and great conversation that's all moving in the right direction? Uh, maybe because some people don't want to attend church regularly because they really don't want to get involved because they really don't want to engage and give back. 
They kind of want the privileges of a family, but they want to treat it like it's a restaurant. We stop in, we order, we get a quick meal. We don't even like to pay or tip, but we just run back out and our tummies are full. Hey, can't wait till next time. Not anybody in this church, by the way. These are other churches and other people that I've run across. But these are the realities, right? Pastor Brandon said something phenomenal in our teaching team meeting. He said, part of the challenge is that people want all that God has for them, but they don't want to give God all, all of them. And I thought, boy, that, that's just a phenomenal exchange. That would be true for every single one of us. We still have parts of us that we want to hold back because we want the right, we want the privilege to do what we want to do the way we want to do it, and we're too afraid to surrender to God because if we do, we think he's going to make us super nerdy or super religious or like a monk or something, and we don't get to, you know, we're out of step with everybody, and, and that's just absolutely absurd. It's not the New Testament. And so it holds us back because we don't understand this. But again, look what 1 Timothy chapter 4 said. It says exercise towards godliness. Now, you get the word exercise in other, in other you know, aspects of life, even if you don't do it. But the word exercise in the original language is gubnazo. It's where we get the word gymnasium or gym. And it always describes somebody who's made a decision, an intentional step to want to exercise vigorously and strenuously and almost radically. In fact, it talked about professional athletes or someone who's serious about this, not just someone who got a gym membership and goes there for the good smoothies but someone who's actually into it, right? And, and they're doing it for a long period of time. And uh, in fact, this, this particular description also included the fact that these people who were training were so serious that they were willing to strip away anything in their life and anything really in, in their surroundings that would distract them or would deter them from being able to get everything they needed out of their training, including at the time, their clothing, because they all wore the robes and the you know the 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 the, uh, uh, the 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 satchels the girdles around them and it was just a very cumbersome and so a lot of the athletes would exercise in just very minimal clothing kind of like today and you kind of wonder you know do people that are serious about it are they just a little too free with the body maybe or maybe they're serious enough about whatever they're participating in that they want the lightest and the least restrictive clothing so they can get the full motion of workout to get that extra second, to get that extra, that extra lift. And in that case, that's exactly what the Bible's saying. It says we should take this exercise in godliness seriously. Well, the word godliness is important too because when we hear godliness, we think of something super spiritual, right? Something real mystic, kind of like, you know, breathy voice and, and just a sway and it's got to have this right, the right motion and the right lighting and, and none of that is included in this. In fact, it's not talking about being more religious. It's not even really talking about being more morally good. The actual word here is, is we, we could literally just shorten it and define it. It's, it's to be godlike, not in a deity sense, but in a sense that we are now living out and reflecting the image of God that we were created in living the way God wired us and created us to be. So it's very fundamental, very practical, and yet deeply wired in a, in a relationship with God and learning to walk with him. And it says that we should do this. We should exercise vigorously, learning how to live out the image of God that we we're created in. Why? Because it's profitable. And this particular word is really interesting because it's talking about that it is completely helpful, completely useful. In fact, this is something that is to one's great advantage in every single area of their life. It's not just because it keeps you inspired and it's a great kind of an emotional you know, uh, 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 direction where you need to go to a happy place or you just think about a scripture. And It's not. It's the pro kind of profitability that can be measured. It's tangible. It actually moves you forward in every area of your life. In fact, it accentuates it here and it says that godliness is profitable for all things. Not just spiritual things. For everything in every area. This is all over the Bible. Let me just grab a convenient one out of Proverbs chapter four, verse 20. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. Why? For they bring life to those who find them, and listen to this, and healing to their whole body. It's not just the eternal life. It's how you live life here while you're here. 
And it's also the health, the restoration, the repair, the reinvigoration you need, not just for your physical body, your whole body, your physical part, your emotional part, your mental part. And by the way, great news for some people, that also includes your relationships. It's all through the scriptures. And it says, if you will pay attention and you'll begin to exercise towards living the way God's trying to get us to live, it's not just going to put, you know, make you a, a super spiritual goody two-shoes. This is going to actually take measurable impact on your life and begin to bring a profit or an advantage in every single aspect, in every single area. You can't list one that's not the truth. In fact, the, verse 23 goes on and says, so guard your heart above everything else. Why? For it determines the course of your life. And that's, that, that word is literally talking about your whole life. If you can draw a circle and you can encompass every tiny component, every outflow, every interest, every circumstantial impact or challenge that you're going to have to face in the entirety of your life, and then you go right to the core and you start working your way out through every little detail, that's what that word life means. Your whole life for the duration of your life and every part involved in your life. And the Bible says over and over and over and over and over again, this is what God's trying to get across. He's not trying to steal our fun. He's not trying to put us in some religious habit. He's trying to help us to understand if you'll let me open this thing up to you. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it literally says, I will show you how to live days that you will, it'll seem like you're in heaven while you're still on the earth. And then when you get to heaven, it's that and so much better. But I will learn, help you to learn how to live this life that is not only outside prosperous and outside uh, moving forward and productive, but from the inside out, you will be the person you've always wanted to be who God's called you to be. But again, it's not automatic. This is something that we have to be moving in and we have to allow God to do this. So God says, the Bible says, exercise towards self-control. Well, I want to show you three aspects of what that exercise might be. And we, it won't take long once we get there. But it's really important before that, that I help you to identify where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, it's going to be really hard for you to get to where you're going. And if you don't know where you are, if you don't know how to assess that, then all along the journey, all along the way, you're going to get lost because you don't, you, don't, you don't know how to measure where am I at? Where's the GPS of my life? So let me just give you five quick stages that are scripturally referenced. I can't teach on these as much as I'd like to. I'm going to mention them, but I can promise you every single one of you are in at least one of these. You could be in more than one depending on what part of your life. And so you may recognize something may resonate. But I'm just going to give you the category. I'm going to give you eight, one scriptural reference. You can look at that and see the connection and go find some more because they're all over the Bible. Uh, but listen up and see if you can identify yourself. Stage number one is curious. And you'll find that in John chapter 6, verse 44, because the Bible says there is not any person that can come to God unless God is drawing them first. And you've heard people say, well, I found God or, you know, uh, but, but that's just not true. God was, was drawing them. God was moving in their heart, building a case, convincing them, lean in. I, I, I need you to see this. And so it's possible that you're here today and you're interested in what this whole Christian thing's all about. You haven't completely discounted it or rejected it, but you really haven't bought in yet. Really, really not a believer. You know, we're talking about discipleship. I'm totally not ready for that. And let me just say this to you. Uh, I get it. And that's a legitimate place to be. And all I'm saying to you is, listen up, keep your heart open, and let, let the Lord keep stirring you because he's trying to get you to see something. Stage number two is called come and see. And you'll find that in John chapter one, verses 39 through 41, where Jesus invites a couple of curious people and he says, well, if you want to know more, come to where I'm staying right now and spend the day with me and we'll have a conversation and I'll show you a whole bunch of stuff. And there could be, there usually is a number of people in any gathering where they're in the come and see. Their, their interest is stirred. They've kind of leaned in more than once and they're like following these breadcrumbs, but they're not ready to believe. They're not ready to trust. They're not ready to buy in. And listen to me, that's a legit place to be. Don't feel bad, don't feel condemned, but keep your heart open and keep leaning in. God's trying to take you somewhere. Okay, stage number three then is come and follow. And you'll find that in John chapter 16, verse eight, uh, the first part, and then it really comes out in verse number nine. But the Bible says that 
the first responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to work on the hearts of everybody who's not accepted Jesus to convict a better or a softer word is to convince them you really need a savior. This is, not a, this is not a light thing. This is a serious and eternal thing. And so he begins to move on that. And the thing about this stage, you could be in this stage and realize I've been here a bunch of times before where, where I can feel the Holy Spirit. It's like, if, if I'm just gonna you know, take a test, I know all this stuff. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I get it, man. I believe the big tenets of the Bible. And, and I think, you know, we should be saved to go to heaven. I just haven't made that commitment. And I've got a list of reasons why. Or you could have accepted Jesus, but you're still in this category because once the Holy Spirit convinces you to accept Jesus to be saved, then he doesn't stop. Now he just shifts his attention and he begins to convince you about how important it is that you lean in and you learn to grow. And so you could be in this stage and you could say, yeah, I feel this all the time. You know, I'll get in a church service and I can feel God tugging on my heart, but I just have these reasons why I don't think I'm ready to do that. Or I'm already saved. I'm a Christian, but I'm not ready to commit and, and like lean in and follow him more. And that, that's, a, that's a legitimate stage. It's not a great one, but it's a legitimate stage. And you have to be careful you don't get stuck or stalled out in that stage. He's trying to get you to stage number four and stage number four is called be with me. And you'll find that in Mark chapter three, verse 14, where Jesus called starting with 12 disciples and he said, I'm not calling you here so I can build team Jesus so we can start a great church. I'm calling you here to be with me. I'm calling you here to get in relationship with me and let me show you, let me walk you through in a mentorship and let me show you how to live. And it's important you understand that because discipleship at its core is not about getting Bible smart. It's not about being more religious. It's not about being more involved in acts of service or being a kinder person or a more moral person. Uh, 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 discipleship at its core is about developing a deep and a very personal, real, measurable relationship with the God who created you. And by the way, the God that if you are a Christian, you're going to spend all eternity with. I I'm a pastor, and so let me just kind of be vulnerable and share an observation with you. I've done, I don't know how many memorial services. And consistent every single time, one of the things that I notice that is, is so, it's just such an irony is you have people there that obviously, and, and I'm not saying that because of the way they look or measuring some behavior, they'll tell you. You have people that declaratively and obviously do not agree with the Bible, do not want to live their life serving this God. In fact, they'll reject this God sometimes outright. And yet, when you get to memorial service, it's like, Everything just kind of crumbles down and we all fall into this giant, warm, mushy melting pot. And the, the verbiage goes something like this. Well, boy, I'm really going to miss so-and-so, but I'm just grateful that one day we'll all be together again in a better place. And every time I hear that, I think, first of all, that couldn't be more unscriptural. You won't find anything in the Bible. In fact, you'll find very, very clear statements all the way through the Bible that will tell you to the contrary, that's not true. But the other thing that's ironic to me is I'm thinking, why would you want to spend all of eternity with the God that you can't stand to be around right now? You don't like how he thinks. You don't like how he talks. You don't like the way he lives. You don't like what he wants to do and how he kind of wants relationships. You're rejecting all of that, but somehow, once you leave the earth, all that's just supposed to magically disappear, and we're gonna go into this warm, fuzzy place where everybody gets along. Listen to me, it's not just a fantasy. It's one of those profane fables and wives' tales that the Bible says, reject that quickly. That's not true. But you hear it all the time, right? So, so be with me is, is that phase. You could be here, and you could say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but boy, I can sense that the Lord is moving me to say, come on, you gotta come closer. Come on, I want you to shave some things off. I want you to get rid of some stuff that's hindering you and lean in. I need you in a more personal relationship. He's not saying that just for the warm fuzzies. He's saying that because James chapter one says, every season of our life, he's trying to make sure we are fully equipped and fully ready because he wants to take us to the next level. 
And the, the, again, the interesting thing is we're, we're in our bed at night, sometimes with tears rolling down our eyes saying, I know I got another gear. I know I can do more. I just need the opportunity. Lord, get me to the next level. And he's like, I'm trying, but I need you to come close so I can mentor you and I can coach you and we can get some things ready so that I can step you to the next level and man, you will soar, but you're not ready yet. And this is the heartbeat of discipleship. Here's the last one. The last one's number five, and it's abide with me. And you'll find it in John chapter 15, around verse four, but there's no more verses of that. And Jesus there compares the relationship with him, what we're gonna call the discipleship uh, uh, connection. He compares it to a branch that is connected to a grapevine. And the grapevine roots go way into the ground, and it doesn't really matter what's happening out here. The roots are pulling from the nutrients and pulling from the moisture and pushing all that right out into the branch. And the result is the branch is producing fruit. And Jesus said, if you will stay connected to me and you'll keep drawing from this relationship, you'll grow deeper, you'll grow stronger, the branch will grow heavier and your life will produce more and more and more fruit. Not just spiritual stuff. Remember 1 Timothy chapter four, all things, all things. But he said, if you disconnect from me, you're going to be laying over in a pile and you have no way to, to, to fulfill yourself and you'll dry up. And so it's abide with me. The reason it's important we see this because sometimes Christians, even growing, maturing Christians, we get this idea that discipleship or maturity is a destination we arrive to. And once we get there, well, we're mature now. Because maybe we've got a good devotional rhythm going or maybe you know, we, we come to church when we're supposed to and, and so we think we're mature now. And so when that happens, we'll tend to park it and we'll begin to stall out and what we don't realize is we're no longer drawing from the vine because discipleship, spiritual maturity is a lifelong continuum. You will never grow to your capacity until we get to heaven. But you can grow and blossom and demonstrate to the point you can keep looking backwards and think, wow, I am a different person. And this is a different life. Look at what God promised and look at what he's actually doing. You can see that if you'll stay connected. So here's the question, right? When we look at all five of these stages, here's the questions we should be asking ourselves. Which one are you in? And you should be honest, right? Sometimes it's sobering and it's painful, Also ask yourself, how long have you been there? Are you stalled out? Do you just kind of park it there? Or do you realize there's more? And we should be following the Lord and growing. Romans chapter eight said, the people that will continue to grow are the people that are willing to be led by the Holy Spirit ongoingly their whole life. And the picture is uh, a farmer who's got a rope and he's got you know, his, his farm animal and they've got a symbiotic cooperative relationship. And when the farmer walks, then the farm animal just follows. And when the farmer stops, then the animal just stops and he's grazing for a little bit till the farmer walks again. And it says we should be sensitive in following the Lord like that. And as we do, our life will continue to mature more and grow more and more and more. That's how the whole Bible works. So the question is, which one of these stages are you in? Are you stalled out? Here's a bigger question. Have you slid back? Can you remember a time in your life where, you know what, based on this, I used to be in stage four. I'm in stage three. We're watching a lot of our world go back to stage one. They're deconstructing their faith. And there's parts of it they probably should, right? Things we added on to, where we bought into, well, everybody does it, well, that's just how it works. And instead of building something, constructing something in our life or in our thought process that was based on the word of God, we went back and just did what the trends were. We should deconstruct those. But we should come back and we should build our lives on the word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So you, when you ask yourself those questions, you say, okay, where am I at? And how did I get here? And am I ready to be moving forward? That's going to put you in a really great position to say, okay, now what are the three aspects that I need to pay attention to? Because you know where you're at, right? Having said that, let's look at these three aspects. Number one, practicing spiritual discipline is required of a disciple. When we say spiritual disciplines, we're simply talking about those things prescribed in the Bible. Talking about reading the scriptures, spending time in prayer, 
capturing some of the thoughts that, that God is, is sharing with us so we can meditate on those and we can use them in the future. We, we, we're just coming out of, if you've been on this 21 days of fasting and prayer, well, we're just coming out of today or tomorrow, however you, you counted time, is our last days. But times where we're pulling away from something in order to spend more time with God, that's a fasting and a prayer. Tithing and offering, Pastor Brandon mentioned it. That's not just about you know, in, uh, uh, doing a transaction financially. It's allowing the Lord to calibrate our heart. And, and the, basically the scripture all across the board is if you can trust God with your money, then God can trust you with more money. I know that's very plain and people don't like us, kind of a prosperity gospel. Well, call it whatever you want, but it's in the scriptures. Repeatedly, clearly, consistently, And it's up to us whether we're going to embrace it and allow the Holy Spirit to build that. And so it's really important that we recognize practice in these spiritual disciplines are essential. In fact, last week, Pastor Brandon gave a really great illustration. He talked about he had a plumbing leak in his his house, and it was a pretty severe one. He said, I'm not a plumber. I had no idea where it was coming from, whether it was running along beams in the attic and draw. I don't know. He said, all I knew was we couldn't fix it. So he said, I called the plumber. And when the plumber came, I told him, I'll give you full access to the house so that you can figure out where the leak's coming from and tell me what we need to do to fix it. Listen to me. In the same way, we can't diagnose our own lives. We think we can, but we can't. We can't chart our own course to bring full restoration and to bring full realignment so we can be everything God wants to be. In fact, Proverbs 14, 12 says, when we try, there's a way that seems like it's right, but it's only gonna lead us to crash and burn. Again, over and over, just short of what we wanted. Or we got it, but we lost this. And we have to have God to to diagnose and, and, and exercise. So exercising spiritual disciplines when we pray, when we spend time in, in the scriptures, when, when we're giving with generosity uh, and all of those kinds of things, they're not earning or they're not really bringing the transformation. They're doing what Pastor Brandon did to the plumber. They're opening up our lives for access and saying, Lord, come on in and tell me what's going on. Come on in and help me to understand that because only God can transform our lives. Here's another part of the illustration that as I was sitting there listening, I thought, man, this is so good. What if Pastor Brandon would have called this plumber and he said, I'll be there on Wednesday at 10 o'clock and Brandon just said, ah, and he decided that he was gonna schedule another appointment so he wasn't home. Plumber shows up, ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, nobody's home. What if Brandon was there, but he just didn't feel like answering the door? Ah, it was kind of a hard night last night. I'm tired. He looks out. He can see it's the plumber. Ah, I don't want to deal with that today. So he just didn't open the door. Or what if he did open the door and the plumber came in and said, hey, I understand you have a leak. I, you, I do. But listen to me. I don't want you to go any farther than the kitchen. Yeah, but what you're telling me, I kind of think it's in the bathroom. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want you in the bathroom. Just figure it out. Just, just the kitchen, but make it right. Or what if the plumber came and said, okay, I can see the problem now. Here's what you need to do to fix it. Yeah, I don't know if I want to get into all that. Never mind, we'll just leave it. Now, in a, as far as the house goes, that little leak over a period of time will, will wreak havoc. You'll have mold issues. You'll have maybe even foundation or drywall. You'll have all kinds of problems leaking into the electrical. You'll have all kinds of problems. Eventually, it'll ruin the house. Let me come back and say, listen to me. Christians do this every day. God, I need help. Or I need my life fixed. Something's leaking. Something's not right. God, help me. And so God shows up. Oh, no, I, I don't want to go there. No, I only want you to, in this area right here. No, I don't, I don't, don't want to talk about that. Or God shows up and starts tugging on you, and you act like you're not home. You just don't answer the door. I'm not making this stuff up, and it's not a stretch for you to see what I'm talking about. This happens all the time. And yet Timothy says we have to stop buying into all of those things that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better temporarily. You know, they're the, they're profane, they're the useless, they're just the shallow talk and the silly, you know, uh, philosophical principles. And we have to exercise godliness because that's what's going to get to the heart of the issue and that's what's going to turn this situation around for us. Let me give you point number two. Point number two is not only do we have to exercise these disciplines, but point number two is persistence in the spiritual discipline must be the pattern of a disciple's life. Persistence in the spiritual discipline. I've said this to you before, those of you that have been here for a while. It's not often that we're not doing the right thing. It's just that we don't do it long enough to make a difference. 
Now, that, that's not revolutionary in our thinking. Maybe it is in the spiritual part of our thinking, but we all get this in just about every other area, right? So uh, I won't make you raise your hand. I'll just do that for us. Fad diets don't work. Well, let me rephrase. They work temporarily. You can shed a few pounds and you can feel better. But if you're going on a fad diet to shed a few pounds because you want to fit into that particular you know, type of clothing because you have to go to an event and you can't wait for that to be over because you just want to come back and eat all the chocolate cake you want anytime you want, then listen to me, that's not going to work for you. You have to have a consistent, healthy lifestyle. By the way, the Bible says that every aspect of life is in moderation. So you can have chocolate cake, just can't have it every day. Can't have it when you want. Can't have the whole cake. Limit it to a piece of cake, right? But, but it's important that persistence we understand, and this is where Galatians chapter five, uh, I'm, Galatians chapter five, and we're gonna finish it. Galatians chapter five is this. Now listen, this is really important. Paul's coaching and he says, I'm telling you, or I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So let me just walk through at random and I'll give you a couple of these words. When we're talking about the lust of the flesh, we're talking about not just this perverted part of us, that's usually where we use lust, but it's talking about a part of us that has these cravings, these appetites. Sometimes they swell up and they almost obsess. It's, it's like the chocolate cake, right? So if I'm on that part and maybe I'm deep into this diet and things are going great and Debbie makes a chocolate cake, somebody's birthday, and I'm upstairs late at night and I can hear something calling me downstairs. <laughs> Gil, where are you at? It's been a while, waiting for you. Nobody's around, nobody, you can have the whole thing. And, and it's that craving on the inside of us. Sometimes we know better and we don't want to do it. Other times we, we think, well, we can just do it a little because we can control it, even though we know if we could have controlled it, we would have already controlled it. We've proven ourselves we can't do it. And so he says, Paul says, I'm going to show you a way where you can absolutely dominate these cravings, these appetites in any area of your life. He says, you can do it by walking in the Spirit. Now, when it says in the spirit, it's not talking about being mystical. It's not talking about being religious or any hypersensual thing. It's talking about walking a consistent life in the principles of the word of God and having your life open and submitted to the Holy Spirit so he can help shape you. But the best word in all of this is the word walk. It's the word peripateo. And it literally describes somebody who's walked a trail over and over and over again so many times that they memorize this trail, they know where it's at, so they're not even thinking about the walking process now. Now their attention gets to be on anything else that's going on in their environment. They can think, they can process stuff. Meanwhile, they're still walking, walking, walking. In fact, some scholars treat this and they'll say, when you leisurely walk in the Spirit, doesn't mean it's casual and you're not serious. It means you're not stressed about this. You've done it so many times. You know this mechanic. And so when you leisurely, other translations say, when you live in the spirit or you live by the spirit, your whole life is wrapped around this. These are your rhythms now because you've been persistent and you've learned to do this over and over. Now you can do it and, 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 and there's no argument. You can do it and focus on other things. It's important you hear that because anytime you put a discipline in your life in any area, your flesh is going to scream at you. It doesn't like you to say no in any area, chocolate cake or spiritual things. But here's what you also know if you've kind of just muscled through that. If you will tell your flesh, no, no, you don't get to tell me what to do. I'm telling you what to do. We're not going to do that right now. We're going to exercise. We've joined a gym. We're not going to let that membership go to waste. We're going to get up. We're going to go there. We're going to get on the treadmill. We're going to lift some weights. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. Your body and your mind, your emotions will scream at you for a little bit. And then they'll stop screaming. And then they'll get on board and cooperate. And it won't take very long. You'll get to the place where if you can't go to the gym, then you're now your cravings are screaming at you. What happened? We're going to miss our gym day. The whole chemistry is going to be off. How are we going to do this? We got to get to the gym. It's really important. And here's what we need to understand. The Bible says, if we'll begin to walk in the disciplines of just living for God, those simple step-by-step, precept upon precept, line upon line disciplines, they will begin to form a pattern and a habit in your life 
to the point that walking in those disciplines will not be hard anymore. It'll just be part of who you are. And as it's part of who you are, you're fully now free to listen to what the Lord says and to really allow him to shape on the inside. He's trying to help us to understand persistency. In fact, let me give you the last little tidbit. He says, when you learn to walk leisurely and casually, not that it's not important, but this is not a habit you're fighting all the time. Oh, I got to get up and read my Bible again. Oh, I got to go to church. I can't believe it's Sunday already. It feels like it was only been two days, but it's been seven. When you make this a habit and you're leaning in and those appetites begin to change and you begin to realize, you know what? I'm thinking cleaner. I have more energy. I'm not afraid of the future. I feel like I've got the confidence and the wisdom of God to handle the challenges that are coming. When you begin doing that, it's profitable in every area of your life, which will spur you on to keep doing it. And as you keep doing it, the Bible says, when you walk in the spirit, listen to this, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm just gonna tell you, you go study it for yourself. This is such a strong in its negative context that it literally says, when you will walk habitually in the spirit, things change in you so radically. Your appetites are different. Your confidences are different. Your perspectives are different. Your processes are different. And, and the outcomes, what it's producing is different to the point that you develop this wall, this immunity, and you don't even want to walk away from that. Chocolate cake comes, are you kidding me? Look at me, man. I feel so great. I'm thinking my clothes fit like they never have before. I got all kind of energy. Why would I throw it away on that? In fact, other translations literally say this. If you will learn to walk consistently, habitually with the Lord, that you will never, ever, ever be vulnerable to the temptation of your fleshly desires ever again. It's all the way through the Bible. Hebrews chapter five says that when we, when we use this, when we begin to practice what God says, it says that it will literally train your senses, spiritual and also your intuition and your thought process. It'll train your senses to be able in a moment to discern that's not good. You don't even need all the information. That's not good. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had this before. You're like, I don't know, something just doesn't feel right. Yeah, that's a part of you that's awake and it's picking up on something and you may not know exactly what it is, but ah, I don't know, something just doesn't feel right. As you walk in the spirit, it trains and makes hypersensitive those parts of your life so you don't miss a thing. You know, man, you know just in minutes, you can walk into context and conversations and something in you just says, ah, something's a little off. And everybody around is like, whoa, what are you talking about? I thought it was great. Yeah, I know it sounded great, but I don't know, something's a little off. This is what it's for. This is how it works. But we have to walk habitually. I'm gonna give you number three and we're not even gonna teach on it. Number three is this. Not only do we need to, to practice the disciplines and we need to be persistent, but number three is we need to be part of a community of like-minded people. Uh, has to be central to the life of a disciple. This is where I told you, Hebrews chapter 10, we don't have time to get there. The gist of it is, it says, as we see the days approaching, whether it's happening in the world and we know, man, this is, Jesus is coming at some point, it seems soon, or our world, things are moving forward and we know, man, we're just about to step into another level and we can feel the intensity. Listen, when we see these kinds of days approaching, the Bible says, whatever you do, don't disconnect from a community of believers. Don't, dis, don't stop, in fact, lean in all the more to people that are like-minded that can sharpen you and encourage you and, and make sure that you're gonna be on the, on the right track because the enemy's gonna do everything he can to mess you up. Let me tell you a story and I promise you I'm done. Uh, D.L. Moody, who was a revivalist years and years ago, uh, one time was preaching in, uh, in, a, in a church setting and he preached to a very large congregation and just delivered a powerful message. And at the end, he was answering questions and interacting and praying for people until everybody was gone except for one distinguished gentleman was standing there. And he walks up to D.L. Moody. He said, do you think we could find some time for a private conversation? And D.L. Moody said, sure. Invited him to a back room where there was a fireplace and a couple of wing back chairs. And, and they sat down and the man leaned in and said, listen to me, everything you said made sense. It resonated, man. It spoke to me on the inside, except for one thing. You said that if we want to grow in our spiritual life, we have to have a community of like-minded believers around us. He said, I don't get it. And I don't believe it. And D.L. Moody didn't say a word. He just got up. He walked over to the fireplace where all the utensils were and he grabbed a little shovel. He scooped one burning 
red hot burning cold ember out of the whole pile that was there. And he laid it on the hearth right in front of them. And then he just sat back down, folded his arms and was just staring at it. Well, the man was a little perplexed, like, uh, are you going to answer my question or, but Dale Moody didn't say a word. He just kept staring at it. So the man's watching him, watching the coal, watching him, watching the coal. So the man just sat back and watched. And they both sat there for long enough to watch this red hot burning coal go to black. And then the heat began to dissipate and finally it's not even smoking anymore. And when it got to that stage, the man looked at Dale Moody and said, I get it. I get it. And he got up and walked away. From cover to cover, you will not find one instance where God is growing just an individual even in those instances where he looks like he's growing an individual, he's growing an individual to bring it to a community. God wants a family. And community is so important. I'm not saying you have to be part of this church. But you have to be part of a church of people that are like-minded, that are moving into the things of God to say, how do we live this out? Because we know God wants to do what he promised he would do. And when you get into that, listen to me, you won't grow cold. And people stoke those fires and say, man, come on, what are you doing? I know I've been through that before. Let me walk through that with you because then we're going to get right back to the heartbeat of this. And that's the whole point of community. We have to be together. You have to practice the disciplines. You have to be persistent in what you're practicing so the Lord can do what he promised he would do, but he will. And you have to be part of a community of like-minded believers, not only so that you could be encouraged, but so you can be the encourager to other people. As we do that, the Bible says we grow together as one body and God promises this will make sense and it'll be profitable to every area of our life, not just for us, but for generations to come. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you that it, it's not just spiritual. It's not just philosophical. It's not just inspirational, but Lord, this makes sense. This is logical, it's rational, but according to a kingdom truth and a kingdom rhythm to live by. We're asking you by the Holy Spirit that you would help us to understand which one of these stages are we in, Lord? And how do we keep listening to you so that you can move us on to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage, growing from faith to faith, experiencing you you from glory to glory, one demonstration after another. We're asking you to do this, Lord, and we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to give us the courage and the confidence and the clarity to hear what you're saying, to see what you're doing, and to be able to step with you and follow you. Lord, as we finish the service today, help us to bring resolve, not to dismiss what we've heard, especially those things we've heard from the inside, but help us to respond to them honestly and soberly with all of our heart so that you can continue to speak. We thank you for all of this, and we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.